Attention, attention please, attention please, dedicated educators. Yo, everyone knows that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort, making it tough to prioritize our own personal financial planning on top of that. There are other things too. That's why I want to introduce you to my guy um, and his amazing partner, a trusted financial planner who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Satera Investors. He provides educators with planning for the most important financial milestones of their lives. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for teachers. By taking the time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Alex's website um, is a place where you can go to learn more, www.toryandalex.saterrainvestors.com slash 2dope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information. Remember that your financial success is just as important as your student's success, so start putting together your financial plan today. Satera Investors is the marketing name of Satera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC. Doing insurance business in California, CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0 L05650. Alexander Sierra is located at 155 North Lake Avenue, Suite 430, Pasadena, California, 91101, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. We are out here. We are tired. We are working way too hard for our own good. But we are here. Two dope teachers and a mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. I am Kevin Ellis. And we're still out here. Kev, we are still out here. Out here. We outside. outside. Outside, outside. The brand is strong. So strong. Yeah. Folks, so strong. Uh, welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike. If you are a new listener, where you been? That's right. Where you been? Come We've on. been out here. Everybody knows who we are. Why are you just now starting to listen? It's like well, wild. Like well, you and, and low-key Kev, there's people that I connect with 
mostly through our social media accounts who are like, oh, I should check out your podcast. I'm like, like why do you think we uh, have this? Yeah. Why, uh, what? You've been following me, following us for how long? And you don't know we are. I don't know. Uh, maybe I, I should listen. Maybe yeah. I should. Maybe I should listen. Yeah, you should. Um, but we understand it's busy and we talk a long time. Uh, we are remixing the conversation on race, power, and education. We are the most dangerous podcast in the schoolhouse. We are a fugitive space uh, for teachers of color and allies who wish to see a better day for our children. Um, if you're new to the show, though, we really, there's no hatred. Welcome. Um, we right. invite you to follow us on social media. We're at Two Dope Teachers on pretty much every platform. We do have a TikTok. You're not going to find anything there because we don't know how to do that yet. But not yet, but soon. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's it's coming. Shout life. out. Shout out my guy, Chris Deer, who has agreed to teach us about how to get 135,000 followers on TikTok. Uh, There's a lot of tick that teacher talk is popping right now. Teacher talk. Look at you knowing stuff. Teacher talk um, is popping. I'm out here. I'm like the last outpost on X. Um, <laughs> and like, <laughs> like it, it literally feels I, I like. I pictured like a Star Wars. Like, no, dude. Desolate that, planet. It so feels like and that. you're just like. I'm out here manning a post for goodness. Because all it is is bounty hunters and bots. <laughs> That's all that's out there is like racists and bots. And then there's a few of us who are there. We're part of like the resistance. But it, it so feels like like it feels like Mad Max, bro. It feels so like, You're like it feels so post-apocalyptic on X. So we need, yeah, we need to we need to do things in other places. Um, Instagram's growing. We got a good following on Instagram. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Um, nice. Hope you had a chance, folks, to check out um, the most recent Chicano log with um, author and publisher Leticia Ordaz, who talks about um, the importance of our gente telling stories. But uh, Kev, we got we got a great episode for people right now, yes. right here, right now. Very good one. How good Very is it? Good. How good is it? Tell the people I, how good it is, Kev. I, I would say. Um, it is watch this four fire emojis yes okay. four fire emojis four maybe five if you need kevin i can't i can't articulate to you how proud i am of you for having these like 2023 2024 like references i'm really enjoying this Doing this is good. new year new kev um love it love it and you probably can't help it like raising two high schoolers like that's it's it. just that's it yeah yeah, I've always hey, hold on, hold on. Let me give you a big shout out to one of my my child, Sophia Adams, presented her passage today. Man, I so wanted to be there today, and then they're like, "No, sorry, your budget's on fire. We need you in this yeah. meeting." Shout out to all the juniors <laughs> in our school. Shout out to Man. our passages teachers. A, a big day in my community. And I couldn't be prouder as a father watching my daughter do this. Just do the was damn thing. Consistently, my favorite day was watching kids present their learning and present their research and just doing Own a it. thing that Public is so like amazing. Massively. Yeah. Ah, I miss y'all. Um, we do have a great guest today. Um, we have got um Colorado Education Association president Amy Baca Olert. Uh, we've been connected to Amy for a very long time. I've been connected to Amy for a long enough time that it would expose our ages. <laughs> um, and I'm not shy, but I don't, I don't talk about other people's age, right? Go, um, but um, for those of you in Colorado, this is hugely appropriate because we'll be talking about the um, state of education in the state of Colorado. If you're not in Colorado, 
it's still really interesting because I really encourage you to see what parallels you see in your own states, right? Yep. Gov? Yep. Yep. I mean, I think that's the the beauty of connecting. Uh, first of all, with educators in my state, right? Yep. Beyond yep. my district. Yeah. Educators outside of my building, but whatever you see, you, you start to realize, oh man, we're in the same situation everywhere. Everybody's dealing with the same stuff. We're all in the and same that, gang. And that's when you get perspective on kind of what we need to do um to to resist like the things that people are trying to do to to us and our work that we love and we're committed to. Totally so, agree. And I think I think this is great. What one thing that you said, and so we'll, we'll get to the interview in just a moment, but one thing that you said in our conversation was really powerful is really the importance of starting to break down traditional distinctions between roles in education. So on this interview, you have the the elected representative of teacher voices across the state of Colorado, 40,000 members across the state of Colorado. You have a voice of leadership in public education, and you have a voice of a middle management cubicle inhabitor um, in central office who looks at these systems every day. And the fact that we don't spend more time talking across these differences, um, it might might be part of why we're struggling so much in a yep. lot of areas. Yep. What can yep. people look forward to in this conversation, Kev? I mean, I think you can look forward to getting really some of the 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 changes that we're facing, why we're in the situation in Colorado, uh, that we are in uh, some of the wins, some of the things that have been going well, uh, but also a great explanation of our our favorite term created by the Colorado legislature, the BS factor, uh, right? And, such a great uh, story behind that one too. Such that you'll a great hear. one. Yep. And and I think just overall inspiration for the work and where we have to go. Um, and 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 we'll get and the best thing I think is what Amy points out is that it's it's based on the voice of educators in Colorado and absolutely I think that that is who needs to be dictating this conversation. Yep. And I'm glad That's right. we have this report and and we're gonna get to the people are gonna get to hear from Amy about it. Definitely, and it's an ongoing conversation, folks. So uh, you can enter the conversation. You can enter the chat anytime uh so kev let's uh let's get to this interview let's get people listening to it folks hit us up let us know your thoughts share this uh widely and uh we're looking at solidarity y'all peace all right people we are here with um a very special guest that we told you about in the intro and i just kev i gotta i gotta give this individual their flowers um because this is a person that has been in my life, oh man, for a long enough time that we would expose our true ages um, here in there front of all the there people. You go. There you go. Um, so my mother, Kev, as as you may be aware, yes. um, is a retired teacher. Uh, yes. She taught- Shout out to the, her for her service. Shout out to the service that she bought time off of so she wouldn't have to actually do a whole- retirement thing. Hey, I'm not knocking the hustle. I'm not it. knocking the hustle. Mom. My mom the other day, she's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm probably the reason some of you can't retire as early as you want to. <laughs> Thanks, mom. That is great. Uh, but mom's living her best life right That's now. It. So anyway, my mother uh, spent the last, I would say, 17 years of her teaching career 
um, at Adam City High School in Adams 14. And um, she biked to work every day. Uh, she's a bit of a lunatic, um, but she loved teaching at that school. And while teaching at that school, she had this wonderful colleague who is now your president of the Colorado Education Association. Amy Baca Olert, welcome to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike. I was going to say in a Nike. Uh, <laughs> and a mic it's a long day how are you Bye. i'm awesome thank you for having me uh, i just smile when i think of your mom she was one of those i started teaching speaking of age and you know what i'll say about that i always say when people are like i don't want to share my age or i can't believe how old i'm getting i always say you know the alternative to not getting old that's is right so be happy that we're i mean that's just it that's getting old together and have all these memories but that's right Right. And I don't want to expose other people's ages. Like I'm comfortable with my own, but oh, I'm also, so a, I'm a cishet dude. So it's like easier, like to, for society to be like, oh, wow, what a cool old guy over there. Um, yeah. yeah I was 22 years old and I just turned 22 and I'm teaching at, got my first teaching job at Adam city high school, man. I had no clue what I was doing, but I had amazing mentors like your mom who, showed me what it meant to just love kids. So I was 22 years old. I had no clue what I was doing, was not prepared at all for the experiences I would face, you know, the situations that would walk into my classroom. Um, but I had amazing mentors like your mom who just, you know, took me under her wing and really, you know, there's so much you, you can, you know, learn from an ed prep program or things like that, but you really learn how to be a teacher from other great teachers. Um, 100%. your mom was one of those yeah. teachers for me. So big shout out to your mom. Who yeah, Big shout out, mama. Love you. Um, you shout also out. like you appro <laughs> appropriately as we're recording this, it is actually, um, mentor appreciation month. Um, oh, so the month of January is the time to celebrate mentors. So I'll shout mine out. Everybody knows who my mentor is, uh, Doris Dempsey. The reason I made it through my first two years of teaching and would not have done without you. Shout out Doris, Kev. Shout out. You know who my mentor was. The, I know, but the, the people might not remember. The, the eminent David Tabano. <laughs> I was hanging out Not with... Out. Uh, I was I was hanging out with his son Carmine um at a birthday celebration on Friday. What a good dude. Um anyway, yes. this is not yeah, why we're the whole here. Whole family, today. whole family. <laughs> yeah. So um like I think as it's January 2024, um I there this is kind of the point where people start sort of figuring out patterns and trends as far as what's going on in education. CEA has this 32-page report, which we'll link in the in the show notes here, that is a state of education um, in Colorado as we are doing this and kind of looking ahead. So, Amy, in five words or less, what is the state of education in Colorado? Just kidding. Um, can you? I, I'm now. Wait, now I actually kind of want to know these five words. <laughs> you look ready. <laughs> you were like, "What was she gonna say?" Yes. Um, well, you know, the first thing I would say about this, the important thing about the state of education report is that it's from the voices of educators. And that was probably going to be part of my answer, um, you know, in those five words is that 
this is the story of public school educators in Colorado. And what's so important about that, the reason, you know, we started doing this uh, state of education report several years ago, really to respond to the fact that too many people were trying to tell the story of educators without mm -hmm. being educators. Um, and we really wanted to ensure, um, you know, the governor gets to tell the state of the state, the president of the United States gets to share the state of the union. Um, and too often our educators don't have a voice in saying what's happening in our profession, um, and, as well as our students, you know, I mean, we think our educator voices are often silenced, you know, our student voices yep. are even further silence. So That's right. that I think is the, you know, what's so important about this report is that it is about lifting up the voices of educators. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, go ahead, Kev. I just think that's so important in that point, you know, everybody does talk about the state of education. They don't want to hear the voices of educators and what's going on, the people on the ground. But I always think like, the, to your point about students, we're always like, the customer's right everywhere, except for students, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, and I think we got, there's definitely work that needs to be done there. So, um, so this is a report that is based on the experiences and perspectives of um, teachers. So if folks, if you look at the report, it's got a table of contents, so you can know kind of what it has. And there's um, the first section kind of details the crisis that is in education in Colorado right now. And then there's a celebration of wins. There's change and challenges. And then there's also um, something about particularly policy solutions. So Amy, just kind of take us through a couple of pieces in here. Um, so educational crisis, what is it that 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 came out of this report that said we are facing a crisis in education in Colorado? Well, and I think some of it is looking at um, patterns over, you know, the last several years. And some of it is seeing, you know, that we haven't moved the needle on, you know, several big issues that our educators have been, you know, waving a flag saying, listen to us. These are the things that are happening. Um, you know, we still have a massive educator shortage um, where we didn't have one school district this year, this 2023-2024 school year that started fully staffed. Not one school district wow. ac across Colorado, you know, started fully staffed, whether that meant, you know, certified staff, uh, support staff, um, you know, admin level staff. Um, that's huge because that has an impact on everything and you know right. i think making those connections is what really and that's what i think the report really pulls together is connecting all the dots you know when we have this shortage which leads to increased workload which leads to you know morale which leads to um you know the mental health needs all of it is you know so interconnected yep. um and I will say, too, that, you know, we struggled with that word crisis because, um, you know, there are some there there are on a daily basis amazing things that happen in public education. And um, we don't want that to, you know, not be told or lifted up. Um, 
but we are we are at an inflection point, you know, in public education in Colorado, in our country. Um, and we did really feel like that need to be lifted up um, and not to be dramatic, to be real. And that's, you know, really what the report um, digs into is, you know, what does that look like um, when we say crisis in education? Yeah. One of the pieces that um, is named immediately is um, the funding situation in college situation, um, such a ridiculous under, understatement of what it is. Um, yeah, so so chronically underfunded. And um, I remember that. So I remember when when I was in the classroom last, I remember um, the students learning the data point that the class of 2022 had never had a single day of fully funded education. How far have, have we been able to carry that forward? And by the way, my daughter heard that stat and she's like, wait, there's education funding? <laughs> That's big. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that's the thing. I think so many of our students don't realize what they're missing out on, but we right. know, you know, mm -hmm. that, I mean, some of the things that are just highlighted in the report, you know, now that we have more than a generation of students who've never experienced a fully funded, you know, education, they don't realize like, look at, you know, the opportunities, the experiences yeah. that a student in Wyoming may have just right. because of the differences in funding. You know, they don't realize that, they could and should have access to more mental health supports. They don't realize that their class sizes, you know, should be smaller. They should have more individual attention. I mean, right down to things like they don't realize that they don't get, you know, some hands-on learning experiences because we simply don't have the funding, you know, like I was talking to a teacher the other day who said her students haven't gone on a field trip in years, not because, you know, there's, some that don't do that because of the testing academic side. We won't even go down that route. Mm, yeah. Not yet. Um, Not yet. Was because they don't have busing. They don't have buses. Yep. That yep. Can... yep. I mean, these well, are kids missing out on experiences because Coloradans can't see it to fund our students adequately. Yeah. My, my spouse manages a program um, that caters to students out, outside of the school district. And they are able to pay for buses and they're able to pay for subs. But then it kind of, so when you talked about everything being understaffed, then what happens is we'll pay for a sub. Great. We don't have subs. Like we sure. just don't have enough people there. And one thing that I've noticed in my central office space is that everything just is taking so much longer because there's so much turnover just in HR. And that doesn't even look at the other vacancies that are kind of all over the the, the central office space. And so the person that's processing your I-9, the person that is helping you get onboarded and get set up with all your systems access, we aren't keeping those people. And so we have teachers who want to come and work in our district waiting and waiting and waiting and then going elsewhere. And so I think that that's a piece that I'm seeing in, in, in my space. Kev, kind of where, what are you seeing in your space as far as what President Amy has has shared with us. I mean, when you mentioned busing, right, that that becomes a struggle for us. We we have a small bus, Amy, that uh, our librarian and our restorative justice uh, coordinator take shifts driving to get students. 
right? To and, and from so, school. It's yeah, to and, and from school, right? It's and, not just and we on have, one yeah, to and from, yeah, 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 it's no, not one No, off. this is like a route. This is like yep. our route. We call it the, <clears throat> the Phoenix, the Phoenix Express route, right? But um, and and we can't get buses, and then and we're caught in this kind of thing because we have families that are like, we can't come to your school because we can't get a bus to get us to your school, and our our our, our numbers are dropping. So it's that like that that busing that simple problem leads to this whole other's uh, big problem, and then and then the substitute thing. And I think this year it's been better for us. I don't know. There's been more jobs being picked up, uh, but but for a minute there it was nobody. Yeah. It was nobody, you know, because people weren't coming into it. Um, and I don't know if that relates to that that jam up that you're talking about, G. But it was just. It's it's just so much, and then it's budget season, right? And and the ESSER funds are up, and and, and there's uh, declining enrollment, and and I feel like everybody who I talk to, every building, uh, the different leaders in my uh, my program, they are all saying that the same thing. You know that we we're gonna be doing way have to do way more, meet the needs that we have right now with way less. Well, and it's, it's going to be really for challenging. so many years. And yeah. I think at some point people just, you know, like that's one thing we're seeing and hearing is people just, you know, they're at a point like I can't, I can't, They, it's yeah. not that I don't want to, you know, it's like, at what point does it, you know, meet, do you meet your breaking point? And, um, I think we're seeing so many educators there right now and, yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like speaking of breaking point, Kev, I don't, I, I don't want to rain on your parade a little bit. Like it, it, like picking up subs a little bit easier. I've also noticed on my side, uh, folks who have left teaching and in just decided they're going to sub for a while. Yeah. No, I know. So, no, no, so it's one a, of those hey, things. A lot. Hey, can I tell you something? Yeah. In my building. I see a lot of the former teachers that you work with. You just pop in to sub yep. Yep. every once in a while. Yeah. So, I mean, I that had, is that I had a friend do that. And she was like, you know what? I don't have to do the lesson planning, the grading, and I don't have to go to the after school meeting. That's I right. right that's right. <laughs> like, that's right, man. You know, man. And it's, I mean, and that's the thing I had a, you know, reporter ask me like, well, what are the things, you know, because when we, you know, one of the questions we ask in our, and a lot of the data in this report comes from our all member survey, right. um, you know, where we ask members, these questions. And, you know, one of them is, you know, why would you leave the profession? What makes you feel valued and respected? And, you know, always at the top of that valued and respected list is like autonomy, you know, things like I'm a professional, let me, yep. you know, do yep. my job. And, right. you know, the reasons to leave the profession is, is just the increasing workload. And, you know, this reporter asked me like, well, you know, if, if, you know, if we can't figure this funding thing out and cause we can, you know, talk for days about all the funding issues, but like, what could districts be doing, you know, right now to support teachers, to keep people in the classroom, you know, to attract them. And, you know, to me, I'm like, well, those are some easy things, like let them, 
give them the freedom to teach, you know, like yep. trust them to do trust their job. Trust that they know what they're doing. Yeah. Trust that they know what they're doing and cut out all this excess stuff. Like if, yeah. you know, if it can be said in an email, you don't need a 45 minute after school meeting. Little things. You know, little, little, little things. Little things. Little things. Like um, no, nobody wants different. those meetings, including building leaders. Right. <laughs> like, oh, right. I'm, I'm on the other side of having to Oh, I know. What are, yeah. What are we I mean, doing you know for that PD Kevin, this week? What Kevin, went, Kevin went over to the dark side. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, um, <laughs> they have, although, but if it's any consolation, he has a union. I don't have a union, so we're going to start. I do. I do have a union. I do. And I. And I. Joined, oh no, you do. Kevin. I, no, me. Yeah. I okay. Joined, I'm like, wait, I what? Joined, <laughs> I joined immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as yeah. soon as I, I left my other bargaining unit, our bargaining unit, my old bargaining unit, the one that's in my heart. Yeah, I, I joined the other one. I yep. have said, yep, okay. Yeah, I, I know how this Same. works. We're we're gonna we're gonna organize protests at some point because there's right. a, there's a yeah. lot of us that need to get yep. organized. But you know, I th I think this is this is um just such a critical piece because I think teacher pay is obviously the bottom rung of the ladder. Like you can't you can't actually get to the other small changes until teacher pay is humane and reasonable, right? Um, but I think I think about these things, and there's literature out here. This is the thing that kills me. I'm taking a class that is called Perspectives in District Leadership, and what we're seeing is that there have been studies done that when building leaders democratize the professional learning process and say – here are our really general things that we know we need to address in this school, yep. but we're actually going to empower you to do the professional learning and growth that you want to do. We're even going to give you a chance to lead it. And then that teacher autonomy piece, Amy, I don't know if, I don't know if you knew this, but um, from August, 2022 until um, August of 2023, I did, um, I was part of the uh, this Voices for Honest Education Fellowship, and what we did was find ways to counteract the anti-public education, anti-CRT educational gag orders that are happening nationally, and those those things that are being done in other states, and we also see some of it being talked about in in our states. My district sent out a communication that was very worrying to me. Um, where again, it touches on those things of autonomy. We make it seem like this is some massive mystery of the universe. Why do pe why do teachers leave? My sense is they leave teaching for a lot of the reasons that they leave other jobs. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's so it's so many things combined. You know, and I think the pay thing. Um, you know, there over the years, there's been a lot of things said about that. Like, you know, teachers don't do it for the pay. Well, yep. you do it. You should be able to be able to, you know, afford to feed your family, live in the community that you serve. I mean, there's so many things where, you know, we hear more and more often, you know, how many people are working two to three jobs yep. just to make ends meet. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that was startling out of this year's report um, was that over 50% said that they struggled to afford housing in the last year. Um, you know, and it's all of these things, like I said, they kind of all connect. And like you were saying earlier, Kev, about like, it's just kind of like, it all adds together. And, you know, yeah. when people, um, you know, I don't care how much you love what you do. You, again, you have to be able to pay the bills. You know, you yeah. want to have a roof over your head. I mean, I think um, one of the things over my career as a union leader that was, you know, most startling for me was one year at the bargaining table, we shared with the district 
the number of teachers whose own children qualified for free and reduced lunch. Ooh. That's a reality that our educators are living. I mean, and so, you know, there's other things in the report, like Colorado, we have the largest pay gap in the country. I mean, mm. you know, we've, we have a decade plus of, you know, underfunding of our school. I mean, it's just, um, when you look at that, you can see why people are making the choices that they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's why we're like, saying this is crisis level we have to do something about this our students and our educators deserve better yeah absolutely yeah. um i think too like i think when you when you talked about struggling to pay for housing like even even after 20 plus years as a teacher that it was still very much hand to mouth for for us and yep. Yep. it's not like i'm getting I, you know, I'm, I'm probably making about the same, we're not going to go into my, my comp compensation situation, but I think like, I think what you're talking about is big. I think the, the thing that Kevin's probably tired of hearing me say after eight years of a podcast, which is when you live under capitalism, money is helpful. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you gotta get through it somehow. And I, I'm not tired. Um, of, notion... I'm, I'm tired that you, you have to keep saying that. That's well, yeah, that's, that's, that's tiring, right? That's tiring. Yeah. And, and the, the thing of it is that, um, you know, there's this, you know, the, the, the great book, the teacher wars really outlines the history of that rhetoric around no teachers do it for the outcome, not for the income. It's like, if you don't give me income, there ain't going to be no outcomes. Okay. Right. <laughs> so it's, that's how it's going to work. So one of the things that the report differentiates between there are separate sections on this one is the crisis that we're dealing with, which has a lot to do with the BS factor, right? And the sort of, um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Amy, will you please explain what the BS factor is and why it's so apt that that's the acronym? That's the acronym, yeah. Yes, I will say that was one of the um, best gifts I think the legislature gave us was they, <laughs> yes. they, they themselves <laughs> named this factor in the school finance. You're like, uh, for real, y'all yeah. are gonna call this a B. You're yeah. really gonna go with budget stabilization. That's what okay. we're going with. Okay. Is this a joke? Yes. It was. Just want to be clear. Named the negative factor, and they thought, oh, we don't like that because it uh, just always makes us <laughs> sound. Came up out. with something worse. <laughs> so we're gonna instead of calling it the negative factor, we're gonna call it the budget stabilization factor, and we mm. were like. Awesome. The BS factor, because what it's really doing is you are doing your one job that you're mandated to do by the state constitution, which is to balance the budget. You are balancing the state budget on the backs of students in public education by stabilizing the budget. So it yeah. is the dollar amount annually by which they underfund our schools in order to balance the budget. Yep. It's and it's Absolute BS. So some of it is um, just navigating change. I think that's the piece that that we're kind of looking at. So there is this matter of harm that was done. I think 2010 is that when the BS factor was, or when when did that first around that? Yes, yeah. Okay. It was um yeah we because it was like an entire generation in 22. Yeah, I mean yeah. we were in the Great Recession. You know we'd had 2008. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then it talks about just kind of navigating change and some of the things in the report, let me get to it right now, um, around navigating change. There's issues around school safety. There's issues around collective bargaining that kind of 
come up as ways of navigating change. So um, what is it when, when you heard from teachers, what are the changes that we're all going to need to be able to navigate in the state of Colorado in order for public education to not just survive, but thrive? Maybe that's a better way of framing. Yeah. That. You know, I mean, I think that there, it, it, again, it's hard. The interesting thing is, and again, back to the point of like, you know, it's important to hear from the people who are actually, you know, on the ground, licking students in the eye every single day, because so many people have this perception that, you know, school is what it was 40, 50, yep. maybe even yep. 60 years ago, you know, when the last time they walked yep. out of the, you know, the high school doors on their graduation. And it, it we're in just such a different context right now. And, you know, one of the things we like to say and point out is that, you know, the pandemic didn't create a lot of these challenges and circumstances that we're dealing with right now, but it certainly exacerbated them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you compound all that with our funding problems and it's, you know, it, it is a difficult reality that we're navigating. But one of the biggest things that I think we're hearing, um, all across the state is just the the challenge of addressing students' needs and student behavior. Um, and, you know, which so many, and this is something that, you know, we really want to carefully talk about because it's, you know, we don't want people to hear like students are bad and, you yep. know, our students. That slippery slope to blaming families yes, and yep, then yes, you start yep. deficitizing these, these right. communities. Yeah. And what we want to point out is that, no, like we, the system has failed our students, our families, our communities. Um, and we have, we need to do something about that. You know, when students are behaving in a way, you know, that is not, you know, what some people would say, it's because they're expressing a need, you know, and, yep. um, and so that, you know, how we're addressing, you know, student behaviors, this school safety conversation is another one. I mean, this is one of the things that, you know, I think a lot of people don't recognize is one of the things that happened during the Great Recession, all the budget cuts, you know, the implementation of the budget stabilization factor, all of these things is many things went away, not just yep. staffing, you know, like, you know, counselors, mental health supports, but right. we used to also have a lot of alternative settings and placements for students where students yes. could get you know, their, their needs met and you had the right staff to support student need. And so, you know, all of those are just big challenges and change that we're facing and, you know, navigating. And so like now the classroom teacher is expected to be the everything to every student. And that is, that puts a lot on their shoulders, you know, yeah. I mean, yep. so there's that aspect, you know, we're also really dealing with this culture war, um, you know, yep. Yep. reality that that is landing in our classrooms and i think that was something that was really telling from the report um you know 85 percent said that this you know political divisiveness this book banning you know the culture wars is impacting their morale and how they feel yeah. about teaching and also the number of teachers you know back to the autonomy thing that said that they they either self-censored or felt pressure to censor or yeah. remove books curriculum you know materials mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i want to yeah i want to put a pin in that for just a second and go back just a little bit to the 
the call. And I think it's such a great call to really look at, you know, the behaviors that we're seeing in schools from students and trying to put those in a very um, sensitive and well-informed kind of context. Um, Kev, you are in this role where you're probably, you're, you probably have a broader understanding of kind of what's happening there. Do you want to comment on that real quick, as far as kind of what, what you're seeing, what you're hearing from other folks, are we having the correct conversations about this as a system? You know, I, I think it's, it's about, it's about supports and it's about the function of behaviors, right? That the, like Amy said, these behaviors serve a purpose. They're alerting us to something that's going on with these kids, right? And there is a lot going on. There are a lot of needs, um, so many challenges on a day-to-day -day basis that emerge um, for kids at all levels, all levels, you know? And and it's, it's, it's really challenging at times to, to have, to, because I can, I can say this as a leader in a building, you know, because some teachers are like, you guys aren't doing enough about this. You aren't, you, you know, we, we, like, and it's like, well, what do you want to happen? Right. Well, the kid, I want the behavior to change. Right. And kids are exhibiting the same behaviors over and over. And um, I think at times it's easy to say, well, they just don't listen. Right. To write the kids off and say, there's something wrong with them. Right. Um, versus saying we're going to invest in doing the work we're going to have more restorative coordinators and i think people think restorative practices are the be all end all right, right? and it's like if you have a restorative conversation that should have fixed the kid right that's how we fix the kid and and i think it's not even acknowledging like this idea of really what restorative practices are it's about restoring a relationship with people in the community you know it's it's uh, fundamental indigenous concepts, right? That nobody is ever beyond saving in our community, right. right? And and yeah. I think there's a lot of room uh, for growth on all parts, students, families, educators, admin, to understand really what this means, because it is a yeah. shift, I think, in how we think as a society, like what are yeah. the, the dominant values of the society? It's saying let's try to do something different. And to that point, I got it. I don't think I've told you about this, Kev. So I got invited to this like thing, this rando organization. And apologize if you're listening, but you made this really uncomfortable. This rando organization invited me and a bunch of people connected to education. So there's all kinds of folks there. I think yep. there was like a union person there from some association. There was a bunch of charter leaders. There were like these other people. So it was just a it was this mix of folks. And bro, I got shouted down for this radically inexcusable comment. I said, my perspective on things for my 23 years as a classroom teacher, for my year of service as, as Colorado Teacher of the Year, and for a year of working in central office and, and hearing things from all over the district, my take is that 100% of teachers are doing the best that they can. The they question is... Do we have resources? Do we have supports? Do we have professional development? Do we have, do, are we giving teachers an opportunity to grow into these things? Because if they're, if we're not, we, they are doing the best that they can and their best may not be what the kids need in that moment. Woo. I got shouted 
down. It was amazing. It was incredible. But I think like what you're talking Can about. I somebody who's in a classroom though, because if it wasn't, I would just tune that Bro, out. Bro, no, it was, it was people from all across roles. Like yeah. that was, we didn't agree on much, but that was one thing that everybody in the room agreed about. Not me was that my comment was completely out of bounds and just completely wrong. So it says a lot about this, yeah. this idea and how we are. And again, the impulse to blame teachers is yeah. always there. And I see it yeah. every day in my job. Well, and what's really, you know, what I have also <laughs> seen, um, just in my role and, you know, being in so many schools and across the state and hearing from so many educators is we want to blame the teachers yet we're not. And again, this goes back to that autonomy comment, providing them the space to do what they know they need to do. Need to do. And a big part of that is we have not slowed down to address students or adults, you know, needs experiences nope. and you know we like right after the pan it was like hardcore academics we gotta catch yep. students catch them up yeah. to what um, oh one colorado what? district i know of was like it's time yeah well and what were they calling it gerardo like, uh in our district it was recover what were they saying what was well, there the was report? accelerated accelerate yeah accelerated learning kids are behind let's go faster yes and here's what kids are behind in like how to be human like we yeah. haven't slowed down and said, that's right we're we didn't give them space for that we like, oh i'll tell you my daughter in her is a first year college student and the things that she is witnessing and hearing from fellow first year college students she's like dad what is going on like what is she she's yeah. borrowed a lot of my lingo she's like they just don't have any home training and i'm like okay mm -hmm. yes and they went through the same same pandemic you did. They just don't have a dad who won't shut up and connect with his kids. So that's like what it is. But yeah, I think I think that's a piece that is so important. Like, how do we and from my perspective, working with aspiring and new teachers, it's wild to me that we still have aspiring teachers. I'm like that y'all are the goat. Y'all are so courageous and brave and indefatigable. So I need to make sure that you that I'm a reason that you want to stay, right? But yeah. when we're doing this work with them, it's kind of like we didn't set out to be hands-on with every new teacher in the district, but that's what the work has called for my team that's and I to do. And so someone's like, well, I've got a first-year teacher who's really struggling. Can y'all come down? And we're like, no, but we will, <laughs> you know? And so we'll come down and do that. The other thing, and I don't want to make this an afterthought, Amy, you started to talk about these uh, culture wars, which I've referred to as these manufactured culture wars. And through, and we all know what this is about. This is about votes. You get votes through fear mongering and divisive rhetoric, but just some of the data for those of you who have missed it, 56% of teachers who responded to um, this, this uh, survey said that politically divisive issues have significantly or somewhat affected their jobs. 85% that political uh, divisive issues have significantly or, oh, sorry, wait, no, it's just skipped on me, somewhat affected their feelings or morale around in the education field. And that's when you shared, there's a great perspective from a librarian that you um, reference. And then 32% felt the need to change their curriculum based on the current educational climate. So that's that self-censoring piece. Um, 
this is a piece that certain people on in our state board don't want to talk about, right? And we want to talk about it in this way. But talk about that piece, because that's a piece that it seems like even in district leadership and policy spaces, people want to talk about when it comes to um, teacher attrition. Yeah, you know, and I think people aren't sure how to handle this, you know, how to address it. It's like one of those like taboo topics. Like if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, you know, and it's, it so exists. And the, the thing that I thought was interesting about this is, you know, I think people tend to think like, well, that's only happening in one part of our state or that district where, you know, they're, this was across the, across the board, across the state, that 85% was of every, you know, and Everybody. so telling us like everyone's being affected by this, like it's no one's immune to it. You may not have, you know, somebody showing up to your school board with a list of, you know, 20 books, but it's happening in one form or another, you know, yeah. and so, mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, it, it's interesting to see how different districts are reacting to it, you know, different individual educators how our students are reacting to it, which I will say in this situation, you know, the, the students, like they are in, so, you know, so much of our, they are the hope. And, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, any students are out there listening, like lift up your voice, like, you know, come because what's hard is, you know, I was sharing with somebody like a reporter, you know, we're getting a lot of questions about this, especially during the school board election cycle. Right. Um, you know, sharing, that was wild. <laughs> that was so wild, like, you know, asking questions like, well, do you know, do you guys indoctrinate students? And are you, you know, and it's like, we don't tell students, you know, what to think. We teach them how to think. And it it's up to students to, you know. I like, couldn't even get them to, like, sit in their assigned seats for an entire right, semester, exactly. like, let like, alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if we had that level of power, like, trust yeah. me. You know, I mean, and there's so many layers to it. I, As a parent myself, I'm thinking, why do you get, why does someone else get to say what my kid can't read? You know, I want, and there's, and I just think all of that, you know, by nature, I think with there's so much going on in our education world that it's just making people tired. You know, they don't it's want another thing. to fight about this. Yeah, it's this just is another, another thing. thing. But they also feel passionately about it. They want kids to have access to, you know, a wide range of the great books and yes, to great diverse and stories. Yeah. And that was something I have a friend who teaches in uh, in Douglas County, and we don't always associate Douglas County as being a place where kids want this type of diverse curriculum and that kind of thing. But he said that even in my classes of upper middle class white kids, they also want to know about people who are different from them. So I, I think to your point, that generation is is such a light and the the student voice work that's happening both on a local level in the state of Colorado and then nationally is really powerful. And to your point, like none of us is safe from this. Like even it, like it makes me think of being in like classrooms. If one kid gets like cursed out by the teacher or treated badly, the rest of the kids are watching and the rest of the kids are like, damn, okay, that's what happens if I step out of line, right? I think there's the same dynamic there. But I, you know, a couple of things that I've learned because there is this, there is this notion that this is a red state thing. This is a GOP state thing. 
and yet we are seeing stories from all over the place. Um, our mutual, our friend, uh, Manuel Rustin, who teaches in Pasadena, was talking about what's going on in Orange County and what's going on in Temecula County and those places where they are removing books um, from the library. I know of a teacher in Massachusetts who got fired because she allowed one of her students to play a song by Residente at the end of class while everybody is packing up. Kids says, what we've been learning about makes me think of this song, Miss, could I play it? And that teacher lost her job. So this is not a blue state, red state thing. Wow. We're seeing the actions all over the place. And yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy for me and not even in the classroom anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's heavy in so many, you know, thinking of, uh, like as an educator, as a parent, about what it means for our democracy. I mean, there's just like, it weighs a lot. And I think, you know, it that came out in our survey when 85% saying that it impacts their morale towards teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we, we are running a little bit long, so we want to be sure we get you out of here, um, you know, in a humane way. Um, I think one of the things that I would love for us to talk about, you know, every there's there are certain teachers I talk to a lot. And um, whenever the question of policy comes up, the teachers I know are kind of like, I don't want anything to do with that. No, I don't understand the policy stuff. I'm just not interested in it. Just let me work with my kids. Can you talk a little bit about the urgency of um, of the policy landscape that we're dealing with in in Colorado and, and how and what the implications are for educators and what are some of the things that that CEA and other allies are working on um, in the legislative session to improve conditions for teachers? Yeah, well, to your first point, I hear that all the time as well, you know, and I get it I, because it's it's not my favorite part of the, you know, this work, but it is so important. Um, you know, I like, I know people like to say like, I don't like, I don't get into politics. I'm not political. Well, as a public school educator, every single aspect of your job is political. Like it just, that's how it mm -hmm. is. There's somebody, you know, making some, you know, school board making a decision about, you know, what you're teaching, what you're, you know, or some legislator making a decision about, you know, how you're going to do X, Y, Z. So, um, you know, like it or not, our jobs are political. And I think that um, it is up to us. I mean, that is something that, you know, coming back full circle to the beginning of our conversation, I learned early in, in my career as an educator um, is that, you know, and I truly believe this, like that as a public school educator, we have a, a moral obligation to advocate for our students, for our profession. Um, you know, it's that, that old saying, like, if not you, who? And so, um, and I think right now the urgency of the direction of where our profession will head, you know, in so many ways, um, whether it's, you know, policy about recruitment and retention of educators, policy about how do we diversify the, you know, educator pipeline, uh, policy about housing, you know, I mean, it's, it's issue, all of these issues, um, you know, I just was asked just recently, you know, like people I think are getting, they're starting to understand the issues. Like they get that there's a shortage. They get that housing, you know, and educator pay 
matter. Um, but it's the solutions to those. Do we want to define those solutions or do we want others to define them for us? And, you know, like teacher housing, educator housing is a big example of that. Like, oh, man. You know, people have lots of thoughts on it, but have they asked an educator? You know, somebody asked me that the other day. Well, this district, they're building teacher housing. And isn't that, you know, a great thing? And I'm like, have you asked the educators there? Because what <laughs> they said to me is, I don't want to live in a dorm room. Like, good thought. Like, thank oh, you for, but I want to be, be an to adult. A home. Yes. Like, <laughs> I would like to live like an adult. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, that's, I, that's the importance of policy. Of course, the, you know, actually buying down the budget stabilization factor, which will be huge. We've got to get rid of the BS. Yeah, but that's it's right. It's only going to take us to 1989 funding levels. And so we have a long way to go on the funding fix. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I'll just probably end with, you know, one thing we didn't get to talk about is in the report, we do talk about the union difference. And I think we're seeing that across the country. Yeah. We're seeing it here in Colorado, um, you know, the districts where they have a collective bargaining agreement, where they're able to, you know, negotiate salary, the the difference uh, in starting pay, you know, that we've been able to negotiate, um, there is a union difference. And I think, you know, the point of that section in the report is that we are stronger together. And when right. we, you know, you're out there fighting the good fight every day. Kevin's out there fighting the good fight every day. I'm out there. But when we join together, like shit gets done, we make things happen. 100%. So, and, uh, Hundo. And so, yeah. 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 I think well, into it, one of the other, you know, and we had just talked about um, these manufactured culture wars, educational gag orders, book bans, these things that have been happening. If you don't think policy matters, look and actually see the data of what parents want their kids to be learning. So these parents' rights groups are claiming to represent parents' rights, but what it is is it's a very small group of people who are extremely loud and noisy. What's up, Kev? Um, the internet is ready for us to be done with this episode. Um, the uh, But, you know, and what we're seeing is we know that you know, according to Embrace Race, 80% of parents that they surveyed want their kids to be racially informed and to have like a working knowledge of the history of racial inequality in this country. Um, and we have, you know, 89% of parents don't think that schools should be spots for political opportunism. Now, of course, that can be interpreted like who's opportunism and that kind of thing. But I think that what we know from a policy perspective is that we have a real situation of the tail wagging the dog. And so these legislators are going to go in the direction that they think most of the noise is coming from. And that may not and historically has not included um teachers so you might be bored with policy man but you got to get out there like that's the real thing and you know there are people who do it and also i'd be remiss not to shout out dr lolita tabron i took a policy analysis and education system class from her two years ago hardest class i ever took and i'm so thankful that i did it so kev what are your thoughts you were having internet issues but you're here i mean <clears> just I, I am in full agreement, you know, and, and this idea of us staying in solidarity as educators, I think is critical um, because because I think ultimately, you know, the conspiracy side of me knows there are people who who want to see 
uh, all of this torn apart. Well, that's and, not a conspiracy, man. They're being real know, vocal about yeah, that. Yeah, and, and they, they don't want a public education system. You know, they 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 see it as a problem. And the only time they it seems like they've ever seen it as a problem is when it's trying to say, we can do something for, you know, uh, the marginalized people of this country, which listen, I, you know, we it, were not we did not sign up for black and brown children to succeed. That's that right. is not that's what right. we wanted, even though we can claim that that's like the goal. The goal is equity and, yeah. and we and everybody's got to grow. But it's like, well, what do you really mean? And what do you what, right. what do you really constitute as knowledge? And whose knowledge, whose stories, whose perspectives. Um, but I think educators have to be free to to dream, to to dare to be big and and do the big things that they're they're thinking about because they know what they're, you know, we know what our kids need. We we know, you know, class, I know I walk around my building, I'm fortunate enough this year. That's one of the great things about moving to a leadership position is I I I only knew the awesome stuff that happened in my classroom, right? Now I get to see the awesome and stuff. And mine. You used to know mine. And yours. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. You Thank know, the you. people who allowed me in. But it was mostly a social studies teacher. Shout out to social studies. I mean, shout out. We shout were pretty out. dope. But uh but you know, like I get to see it and I see people to Amy's point earlier, trying working hard. Educators doing really the best of their ability the trying they can. to learn. Going to going to additional classes, sitting in each other's classes, having deep conversations about how to improve at what they're doing, even when they're frustrated, tired, you know, overworked, underpaid, all of the things, um, and under resourced, and still I mean, showing up for it. kids. And I and I think that's the other piece of it is you know are we properly resourcing the yep. things that educators tell us are needed in schools. Like, and all teachers want to be able to do everything within their power to support their students. The question is at what cost, at, at what point are we going to say, no, Kevin, you don't have to burn yourself to ash in That's order right. to support That's your right. kids. What we're going to say is, you know, tell us what you think they need. And we're going to, we're going to find a way to make it happen. You don't have to do everything. Um, so we, Amy, you have been such an amazing guest. This is powerful. Can't wait to get this out in front of people. Uh, Kev, do we wanna um, do we wanna ask Madam President about her musical tastes? I mean, are you up for it? Madam That's President? my question too. Yes. I know. I'm like trying to think. Yes, I'm like, what would be? I'm so bad at. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh well, hold on. Time to listen to music. But I can tell you, so maybe I'll say this, like, what are the so, concerts I have lined up for this summer? So let's, right, uh, there we okay. go. So, yeah, I love that. So That's typically we one. do this top five rappers, uh, you know, sort of segment, top five performing artists. Um, folks, the president is working so hard for you in the state of Colorado and beyond because presidents talk to each other also That's across right. states. Right. Um, actually, Amy, I feel like I've seen you outside of the state of Colorado more than I've seen you in Colorado <laughs> the last couple of years. I know. And so we're all, so, you know, you're always there. So Amy is working so hard to support you that she doesn't even have time to like get on Spotify and like follow artists and say, these are my top five. So instead of that, you're going to go to some shows. So tell us, what some shows lineup. you'll be hitting up this summer 
And uh, and if you want to give us a little bit of context on, on why those are the shows that you're going to go to, like that'd be okay too. Yes, and I, I mean, if my kids came in here right now, they would be laughing at me and like, "Mom, how do you not know the music they listen to?" I have no, yeah, I'm like, "Who's that? What?" I'm still like stuck in the '90s. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's a right. good place to be stuck. It's a good place to be. We got three extras on the call. This is a safe space. Yes, great yes. place to be. Back to the age thing. Like I would there list off my top five, and I'd be, you know, that's yeah. right. Yeah, exposed yeah. as the kids so, say. Going to Zach Bryan with my kids. All right. Okay. There we go. They want to go to that. We're going to Rocky Grass, which is All my right. friends. Like, so we'll see lots of like bluegrass music. Bluegrass, yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh, I love it. Right up there in Lions. It's Lions, awesome. yeah. You know, yeah. I've heard it's a good time. Kevin knows all this. Listen to some bluegrass. That's fun. Um, we're going to a couple shows up in that new amphitheater in Dillon. Um, okay. So that'll right. be fun. Trampled by turtles. And these are all like bands my husband <laughs> likes i just go along for the all right i just love music <laughs> it's so funny my so my i'm thinking about my spouse if she was asked like she'd be like so what's that one song by that what's one it? guy from i think we heard it in that one movie <laughs> like that's how it would be you know the song you know the song you know you know so what's here's the big question i have um which is the biggest number the number of fish shows that kevin will see in this calendar year or the number of shows that amy will see um this summer oh, don't put me on blast i'm already, ah. I'm already in trouble they they keep they keep announcing stuff keep buying tickets so it's not, keep buying tickets. not good and I, I'm actually having the chance to get them because usually you can't get them. Usually, yeah. like, you know, I, I'm actually winning on getting the tickets. So. Wow. Nice. Well, wow. we it's... keep winning on getting tickets. <laughs> yeah. And when we about... when we abolish this BS factor, um, more teachers will be able to go to shows. That's it. That's the well, goal. What I'm saying. Go to shows. Got to do it. Well, maybe Gotta not the it. Taylor Swift because that's. Uh... A little too high on the price. A little too high, yes. We're yes. not quite, we but won't get to Taylor Swift or, or Beyonce like in this calendar year, but we, we're we working towards it. Amy right. Buckle we could go. We could go to uh, Janet Jackson 1989. See? That's what we could we do go in, back 1989, 1989. in 1989. Like, <laughs> if we could take our money from now back to 1989, <laughs> then that, that might work. Amy Buckle thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on two dope teachers in a mic um folks you can follow this entire report just look up the cea website and get on here we have also linked to the report to this episode really encourage you to read it 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 says it's 32 pages but there's lots of pictures and graphs and everything is really succinct and you can really get a good picture of what your role is in this um so amy let's let's uh, check back in and uh, see if we can have you on again and maybe the next time we talk we're gonna be headed in the right direction and um and good things will be happening well i think you know somebody asked me that if this report was like you know hopeless is it paint a picture of you know death? and i said no like it's actually hopeful if you just listen to the educators we have there are things we can change we have so the answers we can fix like, it yep we can fix it we can do it so yes i will come back and we'll be talking about all the hope and all the things that we change together so yeah. thank we'll, you all for having me you we'll guys laugh and we'll be like 
Remember that BS factor? Oh my gosh, that was so crazy. Glad that's over. Um, so uh, I'm going to ramble for just a second, and then we're all going to say stay dope together. So for uh, Colorado Education Association President Amy Baca Oler and former mentee of Sarah McGregor, um, for um, Assistant Principal of the Year Kevin Adams, I am Hidarpa Munoz, your 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, your manager of learning and development, um, and uh, really your main storyteller. Stay focused, stay encouraged, stay positive, stay in solidarity, but in every other way, make sure that you always stay dope. Attention, attention, please, attention, please, dedicated educators. Yo, everyone knows that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort, making it tough to prioritize our own personal financial planning on top of that. There are other things too. That's why I want to introduce you to my guy um, and his amazing partner, a trusted financial planner who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Satera Investors. He provides educators with planning for the most important financial milestones of their lives. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers and our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for teachers. By taking the time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Alex's website um, is a place where you can go to learn more, www.toryandalex.saterainvestors.com slash 2dope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Click the link in the description section of this podcast for more information. Remember that your financial success is just as important as your student's success, so start putting together your financial plan today. Satera Investors is the marketing name of Satera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Satera Investment Services, LLC. Doing insurance business in California is CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Satera Investment Advisors, LLC. California insurance license number 0 L05650. Alexander Sierra is located at 155 North Lake Avenue, Suite 430, Pasadena, California, 91101, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.